as we are studying the book of Matthew, and as we have been reading these temptations that Jesus just have, has been walking through, in the past two weeks we've looked at the first two temptations. These are temptations that did not just befall our Savior. It wasn't as though he was just in this wilderness and suddenly the devil showed up. Matthew writes very clearly as he is recounting what Jesus told him, as Jesus recounted this experience, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This was a sovereign work of God to have Jesus led into the wilderness, to have Jesus tempted by the devil for a sovereign purpose. For Jesus to learn how to suffer. For Jesus to learn how to trust his heavenly father. For Jesus to experience the humanity that he carried that we experience. And as he walked through these temptations, we have seen both times that he has been able to resist, to, to stand firm. And now, this morning, this afternoon, we get to his third temptation. Now, remember, Matthew's gospel tells the story of the good news that God has come to earth in Jesus Christ. And as a Jew, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience that has been awaiting this coming Messiah for centuries. They have, they have been longing for this Messiah. And it explains why in his gospel he uses so many Old Testament passages to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the predictions and all the prophecies that we read about. Passages a Jew would be very familiar with. And in chapter 1 and 2, if you, if you remember, he establishes Jesus' kingship by providing a description of his ancestors and his birth, a royal history that Jesus comes from. And then in chapter Chapter 3, the prophet John the Baptist comes on the scene declaring that the kingdom of heaven has come. And it has come, Matthew says, in Jesus Christ, who is the king of that kingdom. But as we read and as we learned in the first two temptations, Jesus didn't come only as king. In fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, Matthew tells us that he also came as a servant, as a suffering servant. And that is why in chapter four, he is led into the wilderness by the spirit to learn suffering in order to prepare him for the sufferings yet to come and for him to defeat the devil, not for his sake, but for our sake. So this afternoon, as we make our way to this third temptation, read along with me in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Actually, I'm just going to start in 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, although this is Jesus' final temptation in the wilderness, brothers and sisters, it is not the last temptation he will face, but it is the most blatant one of all that he faces here. It is this temptation where the devil, literally, he just pulls out all the stops. And, and he is, he is going to do all he can to get this, this son of God to fall. He is, he is whispering in Jesus' ear, we're, we're done talking about your need to feed yourself. And we're done talking about your need to prove your father's love. So let's talk about your need to be king. And he offers a plan to establish Jesus as the ruler. And he does it with this stunning visual effect. He takes them to a high mountain, a mountain that supposedly overlooks every kingdom in the world. Now, how this happened, we do not know. And was this, was this a vision that Jesus was given? Or it, there is no mountain in the world that, that can see all the kingdoms of the world. But we just know this is what he is facing because the devil is a supernatural being. And he has supernatural power. How he pulls this off, we don't know. I don't know. But we know he pulls it off. And so he offers to establish Jesus as ruler over all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. You can have it all, he tells Jesus. But only if you give me your all. And here we see the very real reason behind Satan's offer. He is looking to establish his rulership over Christ and steal worship from God. And that is how it's always been with this, this evil enemy of ours. He has always wanted to exalt himself. He has always wanted to be worshipped. He has always wanted to be God. In Isaiah 14 Isaiah, in his prophecy, writes, and this is the Lord speaking, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And what better way to achieve this than to get the Son of God to worship Him? If Jesus would only bow down and worship him, Jesus could have it all. That's the promise. He can have all the kingdoms of the world now. And he won't have to wait. 
and he won't have to suffer the humiliation and the indignity of the cross. He can have it all now. And in subtle deceitfulness, it's, it's ironic that he offers to give Jesus what he already has. He offers to give Jesus what the Lord has already promised him. Jesus is already king. He doesn't need to be established as king by the devil. Now, the question is, is this a real temptation? Is Jesus really tempted? He's human. And absolutely, this is a real temptation because Satan is appealing to the desires that exist in Jesus' heart as a human being. The desires that John writes about in his epistle in 1 John 2.16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Oh, do we not see this in offering the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, the desire of the flesh. I can be king. The desires of the eyes, seeing this world filled with kingdoms and the boastful pride of life, I can rule. And all he has to do is worship the enemy. Worship something other than God, which simply is identified in Scripture as idolatry. And why, why is this such a great temptation if Jesus already knew that the kingdoms would be his? Well, it's because Jesus is also aware that the road ahead, the road that lies before him to this kingly authority, to this establishing him on the throne that we read about in Matthew 28, all authority on earth has been given to me. We, we understand that it's because that road ahead is filled with sorrow it's filled with suffering, and ultimately it is filled with a violent death. And so he was tempted. He was tempted to consider, to maybe have this right now without the way of the cross, to, to have the crown without the cross, to, to have it without having to walk the path that the Lord, his God, his Father, had set out for him. And right, right in his ears, the devil whispers, listen, Listen, Jesus, if, if you are the Son of God, why do you have to be a servant? You're a king. Why do you have to be crucified? Just worship me, and you can be like God, ruling kingdoms, which is your birthright. And go ahead, fulfill what, the, what God has promised you in Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You can have that right now. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. All the world's kingdoms, with all their glory and all their armies and all their wealth and all their cities and their complete allegiance, think of all the good you can do if you were ruling right now. And so the devil offers the kingdoms of the world. But what, what we don't see the devil mentioning in these kingdoms are also the sins of the nations. The sadness of the nations. The corruption of the nations. And the suffering of those nations. He doesn't mention 
all of that. And this is how he always presents his offers. And think about it. When the devil tempts us, when he, he tempts Jesus, when he tempts you and me, he always presents his offers as those that are pleasurable, as those with, with, with all nothing but goodness. And it's not reality. He just focuses on the glories, and he just focuses on enjoyment, but not the shame, and not the guilt, and not the destruction that it leads to. Listen, the price, his price always costs more than it what leads us to believe. It always costs more. Our, our temptations are not this bold. We, we don't face temptations like this. We're not, we're not coming out of a wilderness needing bread and, and able to turn a stone into bread. We're, we're not taken to the holy city and put on a high pinnacle and, and said, jump and God will, God will catch you. And we're not taken to Mount Everest, the highest mountain, and told, listen, you, you can rule the world. Our, our temptations are not that bold. Satan whispers many things in our ears, brothers and sisters. He, he points to all the things that we can have. Success and comfort and ease and accomplishments and pleasures and possessions. And he tells us, you deserve them. You've earned them. And you can have them. You can have them without compromising your faith. All it takes is to give it your all. Now listen, he promised Adam and Eve that they could be like God if they ate the fruit. But never mentioned the consequences. And sadly, Adam and Eve, ends up, they, end up ascribing, they end up ascribing greater worth to Satan's word than to God's word. And that, that is the subtlety and the deception of the enemy that Jesus faced at this moment and that we face day in and day out. And that Jesus faced until that moment where he was crucified on the cross. Temptation was real here. And, it, and it's real for us. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. He does not waver and he responds to Satan with absolute authority, not as a divine son of God, but as a man who is obedient to the will of God. A man who, who is following loyally his father's purpose and plan. Yes, Jesus will obtain the kingdoms of this world, but now was not the time and bowing to Satan was not the way. The only way was to humbly obey his Father's will by taking the pathway of suffering and death on the cross. And how, how, how purposeful and, and perfect Paul describes this in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God 
has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh yeah, he rejects the temptation because he knows this is where he is going. He knows where he is headed. And he rejects this with an authoritative command. Be gone, Satan. And for the first time, he names his adversary, which Satan literally means adversary. He names him. And he once again, he pulls out the weapon of Satan's defeat. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. It is written. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, the third time he is quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There is no other Lord. There is no other God but Yahweh alone who is worthy of deserving and deserving of honor and glory. There is only one who is wor worthy of worship, Satan, and it's not you. But the one who created you and who rules you. It's the Lord God, Yahweh. And with this rebuke, the devil departs. And the battle is over. And Jesus has won a victory that will carry him all the way to the cross. He, he knew his supreme duty was to worship God alone. And, his, and, he, and he expects the same of us. We, we are... We are called Christians, followers of Christ, disciples of Christ. And we have an enemy who is hell-bent on our destruction and who whispers temptations in our ears. And yet we also have the word of God that counters the word of this enemy. The word of God that tells us that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. That this is the life that, that yes, suffering is a part of the Christian life. And there are no promises it gets better. And if you are aging like I am and you wake up every morning with aches and pains like I do and others in this room and you are aging, you realize it, life doesn't get better in that respect we're wasting, wasting away. And this life is but a mere breath. But a wait for us is an eternity, an eternity with God. And so we, we have, we have this, this account of our Savior not succumbing to temptation, but standing firm and remaining loyal to God. Standing firm and remaining loyal to God. Listen, if Jesus had succumbed to the temptation, he would not only not be king, he would not be savior. But he chose to live a life of suffering and obedience to the Father rather than to live in sinful submission to the devil. And if, if you don't think you are faced with that choice every day, you're deceived. You're missing something. We, we are faced with that choice every day. Do we live a life of suffering for the gospel? Suffering in a world that is broken, a world that is a, in, infected and affected by 
mankind's sin. We, we live in that world every day. But what, and what are we going to choose? A life that, that follows Christ, a life of obedience, or are we going to live in sinful submission to the world, the flesh, and the devil? That's, that's the choice before us. And the temptations Matthew records for us in this chapter, they're directly related to the battles that we face every day. The first temptation is meet your own needs if God doesn't. Or test him to prove he cares for you. Or you can have this kingdom and you don't have to suffer. You can have it all in this world and you don't have to, to, to compromise. Oh yes, you do. These are battles we will face until our time on this earth is over. And we must not lose sight that we, we face a daily danger of this enemy who is supernatural, who is powerful, but who in Revelation 20.10 ends up being thrown into the lake of fire because Christ has overcome him here. In Revelation 12, I read this before, but 12.10 and 11, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And here, here's, that, that passage is so often quoted, but what is not quoted is the last part of that. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love their lives not even unto death. And that is why, as believers, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and be followers of Christ. Now, if we are honest, and as Devin so aptly shared about, we struggle with sin. And we do sin. And we, we, don't, we don't have a victory like this in, in, in our history. We, we give in tempt into temptation at times. And we have this accuser of the brethren who's accusing us day and night before the Lord, as we saw in the book of Job. And so here we are. We're, we're faced with this. I, I've... I've resisted and I've resisted and then, then, then I finally I gave in. And yet Paul writes to us, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why can we do those things? Because the victory is ours in Christ. He won the victory here, not, not for himself, but for us. Listen, the victory that Jesus wins over Satan reaches far into the future, our future. It's the first step towards our redemption and our justification and our ongoing sanctification and our future resurrection and our ability to overcome the devil. God has given us his spirit, the same spirit who led Jesus not only into the wilderness, but also led him through the wilderness unscathed by the devil. And he will lead us unscathed as well. This is the same spirit who lives in us. Our, 
on our own. Listen, we can't resist temptation or triumph of the devil, not in our own effort, but we can as those who are united to Christ, whose identity is not Larry Malaman, but as a believer, as a son of God, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, as a Christian. That is our identity. That is my identity. That is your identity. Brothers and sisters, yeah, we give in to temptation at times. But he's overcome. He has overcome. And then this wonderful ending to this account in the, in the wilderness. Verse 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan has left. The trial is over victorious but weak and hungry, Jesus is not alone. Immediately, I think, I would hope Psalm 91 comes to mind as these angels arrive. Angels that weren't, weren't being called in the second test, but are now arriving to minister. The angelic help Jesus said no to earlier that would have put God to the test. Oh my goodness, it arrives to serve him. And listen, they were restrained from helping Jesus. Guarantee you, they wanted to come and help Jesus when, when he was in those, those first temptations. And those that, they wanted to come. And God restrained them. God held them back. They were ready. And all they needed was a word from God. And they came to his aid immediately. Now, now, you think about that. The creator of the world is being ministered to by those he created. That's humility. I would have liked to, I'd like to meet the angel who first got there. What that was like. And so the time for his temptation is over. Yes, more will, more will come, but a respite is needed because he's human after all. He's human. Now, what are we to learn from this? What are we to learn from these temptations, particularly this third temptation? Well, idolatry is what this temptation is all about. Pride and where Satan wants to lead every person, including every believer. Listen, it's no surprise that the verse that follows Deuteronomy 6.13, where, where, where Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Listen, here's the verse that follows that verse. 14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of this people who are around you. Don't, don't follow the gods of this world. So not only are you to not serve any other gods, and you're only to worship God alone, but don't follow the gods of this world. It is a warning. And idolatry is what started this whole mess in the first place. Adam and Eve idolized being like God, and it ruined all of humanity and the world we live in. They chose to worship themselves rather than God. And Paul tells us in Romans 1 what the end result of that, that the creature ends up worshiping itself rather than the creator. Humanity has not gotten better. It's only gotten worse. And it is a world, it is a world in trouble. 
Listen, as creator, Jesus had every right to rule the nations, but he was only interested in ruling one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And the only way to get there was the cross. Stephen, um, in his wonderful commentary on 1 Corinthians, writes, Idolatry happens on the level of one's desire. Idolatry happens in ordinary life. Idolatry happens beneath the level of appetite and desire. It shows up in the subtle twists of ordinary desires and activities. Eating, drinking, playing, marrying, and having sex. These activities and desires are often not ends in and of themselves, but they are means to another end. Personal fulfillment, comfort, security, power, control. Whenever we take a created thing and put it to use in such a way as to meet a need or fulfill a desire that only the creator can ultimately fulfill, we're committing idolatry. Most people don't know it's happening. They're not saying, I want this instead of Christ. They're saying, I want Christ plus this. And idolatry, the pride of life, is a temptation every one of us faces how often we are tempted to control our lives or to control the lives of others by playing god and attempting to create a life that we want rather than the one that god is leading us to do and to be obedient to the will of god as a disciple of christ the temptation the temptation is 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 vividly clear and it's dangerous seriously dangerous because Idolatry is what we give authority to something or someone other than to God. Listen, if Jesus had kneeled, he would have given all his authority away to Satan. And while, listen, there, there are many voices in our lives, many voices whispering to us, just kneel and you can have this. Just kneel. And we, we can make an idol out of anything. Whether it's anger, I have a right to be angry. Fear, of course, who wouldn't be fearful? Or worry, or greed, or possessions, or comfort, or ease, or lust, or despair. Bitterness, forgive, unforgiveness, hate, unbelief. We can make anything an idol. But we don't have to. Because we belong to Christ. And we worship the Lord our God, and Him only do we serve. Our inheritance, Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who as at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, 
For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers, that's what he won on the cross. That's what he won by not giving in to the temptations. And that's how we can live if we are just simply humble before this book where we can respond when we are tempted. It is written. Because that is the power of God and the authority of God standing behind are resisting that temptation. Father, thank you that you stand for us. You stand with us and you overcame on our behalf that we might stand firm into the end. Oh Lord, I pray that all who are here today who, who do face specific temptations would, would learn through your word how to resist and that you would give them just the strength to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony for your glory, for the one, you are the one we worship in Christ's name. Amen.